0: Back on the Federal Drive with Tom Temen on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu, filling in for Tom. What can state and national data show us about childhood obesity, health care access, and neighborhood conditions? Our next guest has done some significant research into compiling that data, research that helped officials at all levels of government develop policy. She's the director of the Division of Epidemiology and the Maternal and Child Health Bureau at the Health Resources and Services Administration and a finalist in this year's Service to America Medals program. Dr. Reem Gondor spoke with Tom Timmon.
1: I have the very good fortune of working in the Health Resources and Services Administration and in that capacity, I get to direct the National Survey of Children's Health, which is the largest source of state and national data related to kids health and we cover all range of topics everything from child weight and obesity levels like you just mentioned to their experiences at home adverse childhood experiences their neighborhood conditions and of course their access and utilization of healthcare
2: and i'm imagining that weight or this presence of obesity is probably a indicator of a lot of other issues or maybe causes some other issues?
1: Sure. I think that's one of the strengths of the survey is that we're able to look at outcomes like health status, if you will, whether it's obesity or some other condition, and look at whether or not it's associated with healthcare access, with other family factors, with health behaviors. So for example, do kids who spend more time with screen time or have less sort of time doing family meals or less physical activity, do they have higher rates of obesity? I mean, those are some of the kinds of research that can be done with our data. Certainly there's a lot of other, I would say even deeper exploration that can go on related to kids' health. So for example, what do adverse childhood experiences, what does growing up in an unsafe neighborhood, how might that be correlated with other health outcomes? So we can kind of look at a wide range of factors, and there's folks at the state level, in particular, and researchers at the state level, because we have state-level data who are able to also look at the effects of policy at the state level to healthcare outcomes among
2: kids. And just give us a sense of the scope of the research, the size of the sample, the frequency, and what are on the uh, survey forms. What are some of the questions you ask?
1: So we are an annual survey, which is something that I'm personally very proud of. It's one of the ways that we redesigned the survey in 2016. We used to be every four years, and we realized that folks just weren't getting the data that they needed in order to make timely decisions. So we are now annual. We're in the field usually from about June all the way to January. And then we process the data, we clean it up, and we get it out to folks the following October we have data usually we have we have data for about 30 to 40,000 kids between the ages of 0 to 17 and the data are actually all collected from parents so to make this super simple basically households get a letter in the mail and they are asked to participate in the survey Most of our families participate online. So they get a letter that says, here, go online, and you can answer these questions about one of the kids in your household. The questions range from pretty sort of simple, basic, how would you rate your kid's health or has your healthcare provider ever told you that your child has a particular condition? And we kind of run through a list of conditions, all the way to questions about there's the parent's satisfaction with their care whether or not their different healthcare providers talk to each other. We ask parents to talk about their experiences providing for their kids' care. So, for example, something that I think a lot of us can relate to in the pandemic, you know, did you ever have to take time off or step away from a job in order to care for your child? So things like that. And we do ask questions about the effect of the pandemic as well. We've added those questions in so Asking parents about disruptions in childcare and telehealth and things like that. So really trying to keep our finger on the pulse of what American families are going through.
2: And you also ask height and weight.
1: Height and weight. So we do. We ask parents to report their best estimate of their child's height and weight. And then that's used to calculate body mass index. And that's how we determine whether or not a child, you know, is normal weight, underweight, overweight, or obese.
2: We're speaking with Dr. Reem Gandor. She is the director of the Division of Epidemiology in the Maternal and Child Health Bureau at the Health Resources and Services Administration, also a finalist in this year's Service to America Medals program. And and looking at this in terms of racial disparities or ethnic disparities, are you finding that there are disparities because of race or ethnicity, or is it simply that bad health or excessive weight comes to children under certain conditions? Regardless of what race or ethnicity they are?
1: So that's a great question. I am not one of our central researchers who focuses on obesity. So I'm not probably not the expert on this subject, but I would say that a lot of times we do try to look at health conditions, whether it's obesity or asthma or anything else. And we try to look for patterns. So, do kids of certain racial or ethnic groups experience more of that condition? Do older kids, younger kids, poor kids? Like, you know, it's helpful for us from a policy and program standpoint to try to understand who is at greater risk for certain conditions. I think we do see certainly. Racial and ethnic patterns present in terms of overweight and obesity, I think, and we're not the only data source that shows that. I think non-white kids, unfortunately, do have some higher rates of obesity, but I don't know that that has anything to do necessarily with race. I think that is really a much bigger picture. We know that kids' health is rarely affected by a single factor. It's neighborhood factors, it's quality and availability of food, it's, you know, whether or not there's adequate, safe environment for kids to play outside and sports opportunities. And then I think there's a whole other range of factors related to special health care needs. Not every kid can participate in your local soccer team, if there is a local soccer team. And so I think, you know, it's kind of, I understand the instinct to want to kind of throw up a particular statistic about kids of a certain group, but what I think is most important about kids' health is that kids, like all of us, are the sum of their parts, and we really need to use, I would say, multifaceted data, data like what we have in the National Survey of Children's Health to understand the complexities, all the pieces that fit together to help kids thrive and be healthy or be at risk for adverse health outcomes.
2: By the way, what was the pandemic effect on children's health? Do we know yet?
1: That's an interesting question. So we don't know yet from our data because we are just fielding the questions now in 2021. I think you can look at a variety of sources, though, and we've seen increases in mental health concerns among kids. We've certainly seen increases in some forms of hospitalizations related to mental health. So I think we are going to be learning for a long time what the impacts were. And as a parent with two kids, I have a preschooler and an elementary school child, I can say that, you know, there have been ways that the pandemic has, I think, allowed kids to slow down a little bit and spend a little more time at home and with close friends and family. It's also had a tremendous impact on learning, on social development, emotional development. So I think we're going to be studying that for a long time, unfortunately.
2: And as the master of this survey, the data goes out to various entities in different levels of government and I guess in private healthcare also. Are you aware of how this data tends to get used and are you excited about any of the ways that it ends up being applied?
1: Yeah, so that's a great point. In fact, we work really hard to make sure that our data are entirely in the public domain, meaning that we collect the data and we put it up for everyone to use. And it always goes out on Child Health Day. So that's the first Monday in October. And we pride ourselves on that because we really, you know, sort of, it sounds corny, but you really want to set the data free, let people use it to make their own decisions. So yeah, there are times when we get to work very closely with folks who analyze the data. So like I mentioned with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation that puts out this data of obesity report every year, our analysts, work very closely with theirs to kind of work through the data, double check all the estimates, make sure that we're presenting it in a way that is factually as accurate and as sort of clear as possible. Other times, we learn about it along with everybody else. So for example, we know that Starbucks used our data in 2016, looking at the parenting burden and sort of what parents sometimes go through in terms of providing care for their children. And we know that they used the data to actually inform some changes to their personnel policy. And we found out about it on CNN along with the rest of the world. So Sometimes we know a lot about what's happening, and sometimes we know nothing. And I think what is great about the data is that because we cover such a waterfront of content, and we have such a large sample at the national level and at the state level, folks can do all manner of research. So... I'm thrilled at any point when folks are kind of using the data, getting it out there. And we always welcome folks to contact us if they have questions or want to think through how they might use it best.
2: And just a final question, HHS largely, you know, through NIH and some other components has done studies in recent years where they're looking at a million people, a million veterans or a million people to look at cancer, What? case might be. You mentioned that you have data on thirty to 40,000 children. Do you ever dream of saying, gosh, if we had a million children database, or would that really make any more statistical relevance or accuracy than what you get with 40,000?
1: That's a great question. I mean, yes, more data is almost always better. But I do think there's a trade-off between, you know, sort of statistical significance and, and burden. And the reality is we want to be as efficient and as sort of tight as we can be, only collecting the data that we absolutely have to have in order to produce these estimates. So we're pretty cautious about making sure that we spend our money wisely. I think over time, um, one of the other great things about surveys is that you can pool data across years. So we're now going to be able, with the release of the 2020 data, to pool data across five years. And then you have well over 100,000 kids. That's actually enough to make some pretty important statements about kids' health.
0: Dr. Reem Gondor is the director of the Division of Epidemiology in the Material and Child Health Bureau at the Health Resources and Services Administration and a finalist in this year's Service to America medals. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive and subscribe to the Federal Drive on Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
3: Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson.